0: All right, good morning, everybody. Come on, this is the later service. I expect y'all got some coffee and some good sleep last night. First service was like zombies this morning. They say, can we go back to 10 o'clock? Hey, what a great time of worship. We're glad you're here. You know, I'm not, uh, sometimes I feel like I have to like have this picture perfect introduction every time I speak. Um, but I'm one of those pastors that's just glad to see people. Like, I don't really like, guilting you into coming. I'm just happy when you're here. And so you look good today. You're supposed to say thank you right there. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) Hey, first service was incredible. Uh, As many as you know, we have kids church during our second service only. But uh, for the next couple weeks, just some housekeeping here, we're going to ask our parents if nine o'clock works better for you, we're willing to change it. So downstairs, when you check your kids in, look for a survey sheet because we want to serve you. Kids ministry is not just about taking care of your kids. We want to make it easier for you. And all the parents said, amen. Amen. And so uh, I'm a dad now. I understand mornings are easier sometimes than afternoons. And so our kids' seems willing to work with you. But y'all, today's our inaugural service in our building. We're just so honored.
1: Like, we're looking at Jesus like, how?
0: How did it happen?
1: And so I don't want to take too long on pleasantries. Grab your Bible if you can. Go with me to Haggai chapter 2
0: this morning. Haggai chapter 2. And uh, Haggai is a guy um, in the Old Testament towards the, uh, <laughs> towards like the last parts of the, the Old Testament, you'll find his little two-chapter prophecy, uh, but Haggai chapter 2 is where I'm going to be preaching from today, and if you're new to our church, new to our community, welcome, we're glad you're here, whatever you believe about God, or whatever you believe about life, just want you to know you're in a safe space today. Uh, we believe that, that God can do more sometimes when we just have, when, we, when He has our attention um, than we can when we're all focused on ourselves. And so today, I just am asking you, can he get your attention for a moment? Haggai chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 7. Here reads the word of the Lord. Uh, Just to get an idea of what's going on here. Um, The people of Israel have been without a temple for about 70 years now. 70 years has gone by since they've had like ownership of their land. Uh, These people, the Babylonians came in and pretty much ransacked the temple, turned it into pagan worship. The Bible says the temple got so bad that like filth was starting to accumulate inside the temple. And so when God initiates Haggai to come in, he says, I need you to speak to some broken places, but I want you to speak to them like they're going to get put back together. Watch out for people that only know how to speak about brokenness as if that's the only thing it is. We got a lot of great assessors today, but not a lot of people speaking to what can become. And I've just determined I'm going to be someone that speaks life.
1: You want some negativity, turn the news
0: on. Here reads the word of the Lord, verse 7. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory. Someone say glory. Say it like you're alive, glory. glory. I'm going to fill the house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine declares the Lord of hosts. Here it is. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former glory.
1: (laughs) Can we take a second
0: and just chew on that? What the Lord says to you and I today is what's about to happen next is going to be greater than what has already happened. A lot of people today are talking about what they've lost, and we have lost a lot, y'all. But God can do more with what's left than we can with what we've lost. And I just believe today, as we start off in this church building, uh, I wanna make this scripture our focus. That what God did here before, for 20-something years, and you know, there's been multiple churches here, Family Church was here, Outpour uh, Church was here. We've had a couple people coming in and out over the years, I've heard, and we wanna honor all the people that were here before us. But I came to tell someone today that God is just getting started. And I came today to tell you, if you've seen something before, you ain't seen nothing yet. I believe that there is something new I believe there's something fresh and I believe whatever you used to think about God today might be a day to kind of realign it into what the spirit is saying to us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, help us today. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, or give us a heart that's ready to receive. Uh, we trust that you're doing something new in this service. And today we look to you as our guide. We love you in Jesus' name. And all God's people that woke up late and had some coffee and a good breakfast and came to the 11 o'clock service said, amen, amen. Turn to somebody you say, it's time for glory. It's time for glory. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I've been married now about seven and a half years to my lovely wife on the front row. Can we give it for my wife, y'all? Love her. Pastor Randy's uh, was up here leading in worship, beautiful time of worship, beautiful woman. Um. I could say so much about you, but I'll save it. <laughs> been married seven and a half years, and it's been the most incredible seven and a half years of my life. Like, when I started dating Randy at our home church, um, keep in mind, I was kind of like the drug addict that got saved and was now at the church. And then I started wanting to date one of the worship leaders. So I had all these, like, pastors coming to me. I had, like, her uncles coming to me, her dad coming to me. Like, you know, I asked her dad, true story, I asked him three times to propose. He never said yes. I just invited him to the proposal the last time. I was like, I just want you there then, you know. But we were in an incredible church that really taught us everything we were. And one of the things our church offered before we got married was marriage counseling. Y'all ever been there before? Marriage counseling. We're about to get married, and this is a group of people that will sit us down and kind of prepare us. To get married. And so we talked about um, like finances. Okay, you guys are going to get into one bank account and you guys are going to split the finances. You guys are going to do this, do that. Got it. Okay, we talked about like our our home, like, you know, laundry and dishes and the basic stuff. Because if you go into marriage and there's not clear expectations, it's going to be a bumpy road, all right? Um, We talked about our sex life. What does a healthy sex life look like now that we're married? We talked about our spirituality. Like, what's this look like? And, And they prepped us for everything. Like, they prepped us for a lot of things, but one thing they didn't prep us for is how to sleep in the same bed together, okay? Because, like, maybe, like, six months in, you know, like, we're, like, getting used to it. And in the middle of the night, you know, my wife's, like, kicking me. And I was, like, waking up. Like. So I did like any man would do. I just, you know, kicked back a little bit. You know what I mean? I like, said, <laughs> kick back. And, uh, you know, kick it. And uh, she, like... She like, you know, was like just in the middle of the night looking at me and I'm pretending to be asleep and I'm just like, you know. So I fall back asleep. Next morning, wake up. My wife goes, did you know something about when you sleep? I said, what? She goes, you know, you 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 talk in your sleep. I was like, well, you kick in your sleep, which is worse. (laughs) But she said, no, seriously, you talk in your sleep. Like you're you're talking, uh, but you're sleeping and i'm like well yeah that's how it goes and it hit me in this moment what she was saying is you're you're saying things but you're not really there like you're sleep talking and i don't know about you but i feel like this is a, an issue in my own life even as a christian like sometimes as a christian like i'm talking but i'm not even really alert to what's going on like can i can i venture today that we have a lot of christians that are good at the talking part like i can talk but are you awake Are you present to what's happening in life? Are you aware of what's more important than other things? You know, uh, uh, like this has just been something we've been trying to figure out as a church is if we go through these church moments and these movements of church, may we never get so caught up in just doing the Christian stuff that we forget to be present and aware to what God's actually doing. Like today's our second service, first service. We had an incredible time in worship. You know, our kids team was in here because they serve our second service now. And just to see kids volunteers, just worshiping God, just to see our kids team getting filled with the spirit. And now they're down there with our kids, giving them that same thing. Like it like made me go, we're alive today. We're awake today. But there was just something I've noticed about how we can go through the motions without really being focused on the mission. Another thing happened with my wife and I recently, uh, we moved from California two years ago. Two years now I've been in Western New York, y'all, and I'm still here. Can't wait for the snow, (laughs) all right? But we were in our house, and uh, we've always lived in apartments, so living in a house was new for us. And so one day, like, we plugged in one of those air conditioner units into the wall. Because did you guys know this? Not a lot of houses have air in the houses, that's a West Coast thing. I was like, where's the air? Um, so we plugged the air into the wall, and we had one on this floor, and then upstairs we had another wall plugged in. So I plugged it in here, and downstairs I put the power on, and the power goes out of the whole house. And so, like, I did, like, what I normally do when there's a problem. I picked up the phone and called Randy. <laughs> I said, babe, the power went out in the house. And she goes, well, just look for like the breaker. Like go find a breaker or something. And I'm like, great, breakers, that'd be easy. So, you know, I start looking through the house and yeah, you guessed it, no breaker. Like I'm like down in the basement. I'm like, you know, in some of the random closets. I'm like pulling pictures down. I was like, is there a breaker behind here? Is there a little panel behind here? And I get downstairs and uh, there was like these eight little like light bulb screwing things. Y'all know what I'm talking about, the fuse things. The, the screw fuse things. And so Randy's like, i have never seen one of those things. So I did the next thing I did. I called Dave Voigt, one of our facilities guys here. I said, Dave, what are these little screw-in things? He says, well, let me come by and take a look at it. So he comes by, he looks at it. He goes, oh, these are fuses. I go, oh, great. He goes, you just need to screw a new one in and you're good to go. I'm like, great. Where's it at? And he says, oh, well, you got you to actually go do that. I just came to a, you know, tell you what's wrong. And I'm like, okay, so we still have no power, though. He's like, yeah, you're going to have to you know, go and do it. And what Dave was telling me was he was assessing the problem, but he didn't actually bring like a solution. Like he didn't actually have an answer. He said, well, that's on you now. And I've noticed this again about our culture and our Christian faith, a lot of great assessment about what's happening. You know, we got these spiritual words and these gifts and don't you know that this is what Russia means? Don't you know that this is what's happening in America? Don't you know that this is where the world is going? Everyone's assessing the problem, but I don't see a lot of solutions. Like even in our Christian faith, we're really good at recognizing what's wrong with everybody else without actually giving them a pathway or a place to take their issues. And I just want to encourage someone today, no matter what you're going through, God invites all that stuff. I used to think that my sin was like too big for God. I started coming to church when I was 21 and was, you know, doing drugs in the parking lot before I'd walk in the building. And I was just like, why is everyone so happy? You ever been there before? Like, random people are shaking your hands, and, like, people are, like, happy. Mm-hmm. And I just remember coming into church, and I remember seeing people, like, jumping during worship. And I'm like, okay, listen, like, I'm not here for, you know, aerobics or anything. Like, what's the deal? And, and then, I, you know, I started saying, well, that guy's over there crying. Like, look at that guy crying, you know? And then I saw the person on stage that was singing drop on their knees. And I'm like, a huh, little bit much, you know, don't you think? Like, my gosh. And, and what was I doing? A lot of assessment without actually really knowing what's going on. Ooh, can I give you some advice? Before you assess something spiritual, be willing to go a little bit deeper in your own understanding of God first. Because I'm quick to tell people what's wrong with their faith before I actually explore and investigate mine. A lot of great assessment in our world today, but not so many solutions. In the story that we picked up on, the Bible tells us that Israel is God's chosen nation. Okay, from the beginning of time, he has had a heart for these sacred people. These are covenant people with God. If you are Jewish today, you're Jews, um, you are in covenant relationship with God. Because of Jesus, anybody that's not Jewish has access to that now. Because of what he did in the New Testament now, God's chosen people, Israel, that same privilege they have is available to all. But it's important you should know in the Old Testament, God really cares about Israel. So the Bible tells us that they start worshiping the Lord and they're setting up their temple and, you know, they're doing everything right. And every now and then there would be like a priest that would maybe take the money that was supposed to go to God and then like he would kind of use it for himself. Or like people would come in with their sacrifices and they would bring a bull to sacrifice. Aren't you glad we don't need to bring sacrifices to church anymore? My goodness, I was getting anxiety just with all the people in the atrium. Imagine animals and stuff. Like they would bring their bull before the Lord, but... Their bull would have one broken leg and they would bring kind of like the leftovers of their sacrifice. And one day God goes, am I not good enough for your best? You guys are giving me your leftovers. You're giving me what's left rather than giving me what's first. And eventually he starts warning them. He says, hey, like you need to change your ways. You need to you need to change. And so he sends prophets to try to prophesy to them. And telling them, turn away, Israel. Go back to the Lord. Get away from the idols. But still, they keep disobeying God. Eventually, God allows another nation to come in and enslave them. And the Bible says for 70 years, Israel is enslaved by Babylon. Babylon takes over their temple, turns the house of God into their pagan ritual place. They, they start you know, going after all, all these other idols and all these things. And eventually the people just get used to growing up in the ruins. The temple's been torn down, but yet they get comfortable in the ruins. <sighs> Have you ever got comfortable in the ruins? Like, you know, it's dysfunctional, but it's livable. Like, you, like you know, it's not, it's not, nobody really knows it's an addiction, but it is. Nobody really knows you're looking at it on that laptop. You got incognito on, but it's still there. There's something about Israel psychologically every day their kids would go to where they were going. And can you imagine walking with your parents and your mom going, that's where the temple used to be. Your grandfather used to worship there. Can can you imagine just getting so comfortable with brokenness that you can't even establish your life being whole anymore? Like the next generation just grows up and they're used to brokenness. Insert Haggai. Haggai comes in as a prophet of the Lord. He works with the priest and he works with the governor. What does that tell you about prophetic movements? We need a little bit of the church and we need a little bit of the government working on this one. It says, I want to go talk to the governor and I want to talk to the priest. I want the governor to know what the church's plan is because the government, we don't follow them, but they ought to be aware of what our agenda is. They ought to understand that if it comes between the people of God, we're willing to do whatever it takes to get Jesus to people. Like, yes, put laws in place and all that stuff. But the moment one of those things contradict that book, we have a choice to make, friends. And so there was these people and they were kind of like not sure what was going to happen. And Haggai says, let's get the governor. Let's get the priest. And he gives him a word. And Haggai's word is what this temple used to be is nothing in comparison to what it will soon be. What God is about to do next is greater than what he's done before. Now, this is kind of something that's challenging, though, isn't it? Because if you're currently looking at your life, it doesn't look greater. Like under the sound of my voice, me saying that what's next is greater than what was, you're looking at what is, and you're saying, it's not greater. What I've learned about God is when he wants to display his glory, he mixes it with a little bit of our messiness first. And sometimes God wants to use the broken things in your life to reveal that he's the one that puts it all together. Sometimes he allows us to be at the very bottom so we can realize that he's the only way up. Uh, C.S. Lewis has this one quote where C.S. Lewis said, there ought to be no such thing as a Christian that looks down on someone else. And they were like, why? And C.S. Lewis said, because without a Christian, I mean, without Jesus, a Christian knows they're at the bottom. Anytime you see a Christian saying, oh, I can't believe you do that, they are forgetting what Jesus did for them. Can we be a church that's like that, that regardless of who walks through the door, you don't know the devils they had to fight just to get in the door. You don't know what they had to do just to make it to church. The last thing we're going to do is sit there and say, oh, you're not worshiping, you're not standing, you're not. No, we're just glad that someone's in the building. The past couple weeks have been uh, life changing for me, if I could be honest. I was at a conference in Portland about two weeks ago. And maybe six, seven months ago, I signed up for this conference and I told my wife, I want to go by myself. Like, I want to go meet some new friends, but I feel like I need to be with God. Like, I feel like I need some alone time before we get into this thing. And so the first night of the conference, you know, they do an altar call for people that need prayer. And I didn't, I was like, I couldn't think of anything specific, but I'm like, I need God. And so I came down to the altars and I had pastors lay hands on me and, you know, people I look up to speak into my life. And just want to start by saying, I hope you know, like your pastors are being pastored. <laughs> Like I give altar calls, but we all the time are like, well, where's our altar call? And so just so you know, you're in a house that we have a pastor. We have people that keep us growing as well. And so I'm at this conference and, and, and just this like incredible moment where a guy comes up and he was talking about uh, AA, he was talking about Alcoholics Anonymous. And he was just saying, well, like what a change it made in his life. And, you know, he started saying that they hold AA meetings at their church, I'm like, oh, that's cool. He says, yeah, so our AA meetings are down in the basement. And he goes, we tell people if you want to hear about miracles, go upstairs. If you want to see them, go downstairs. (laughs) And so, like, you know, he's breaking down AA. And obviously, if you've ever heard of anything about AA, it's pretty, like, sometimes it can be pretty intense in a sense that if you're in recovery, you are so dependent on the program. Like in a circle, we work with addicts here and people in recovery, and it's like the most life-giving ministry I've been a part of. And it's like we sit in that circle, and there's not one person that sits there and goes, oh, I'm at the lowest, without another person saying, yeah, us too. But one thing I love about Alcoholics Anonymous is people are so like, I need the program, I need the program, I need the program. They're utterly dependent on it. You can't go into an AA meeting and fake it. You can't go into an AA meeting and try to be something you're not because without the program, you don't know who you are. And I was just like, man, wouldn't it be cool if the church was more like AA? Not in a sense that we hit the same stuff, but that we're just as desperate and dependent on God as an alcoholic is on a program. The Lord spoke to me in Portland. He says, Billy, if the church is going to be more like AA then the Christians have to start being more like alcoholics. And not in a sense that we have addictions, but that we are utterly dependent on God. That we are so vulnerable in his presence. You ain't trying to look cute for no one when you come before God because you need God. I don't need someone to say great outfit. I don't need somebody to say like, it's all good. Like I need God right now. Maybe the reason why we're stuck in our issues so long is we're going to the wrong people before we go to God. We go talk to somebody else about our issues before we talk to the one that fully knows us. Wow. Who am I talking to? You know, God knows everything about you and he still wants to use you. Like your coworkers don't know everything about you. If they did, they might not want to work with you. <laughs> but God is so rich in his mercy. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So great in his grace, he sees everything about you and says, I can do something with that everyone else counts you out. God says, I can work with broken people. I'm not concerned about the brokenness. I'm concerned that they're going to think they're the ones that put themselves back together. So Haggai speaks directly into the chaos, directly into the issue, and he says, "Uh, uh, the next thing is going to be better than the last thing. And he speaks over them. And he gives them some instructions, though. He kind of tells them that they need to go up to the hills, get some trees, come down, build the house. Like, there's instructions, but it starts with a vision. God gives them a vision, and then there's a vow. So God shows you what your future could look like, but then he kind of expects you to take that step. Does that make sense? Can can I illustrate this for you? There's a story in the Bible where Jesus is walking on water. Y'all ever heard of this story? This is like, even atheists know this story. Like the Bible says that Jesus is with his disciples. He says, get into the boat and go to the other side. And while they're in the middle of a storm, they're in the boat, the Bible says Jesus comes walking on the water. And it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. Like when we're in the middle of a storm, we serve a God that comes to us. He doesn't wait for you to get yourself together to go to him. He doesn't wait for you to stop your little addiction or stop your little thing. He says, bring all that stuff because I'm going to come and meet you right where you're at. So the Bible says he, he comes and meets them. But then you remember what he says to Peter. Peter goes, Lord, is that, if that's really you, let me come to you. Jesus' response is one word. He says, come. So the first step was on Jesus coming to where he was at. But don't be mistaken, friend. There was a step that he needed to take. There was a moment where he saw Jesus in the middle of his problem and he could easily just keep assessing, assessing. Remember what they called him? They said, it's a ghost. Great assessment. Incorrect, but great. How many people today look at Jesus like a ghost? He's there, but is he really there? I can kind of see him, but is he really doing something? There's a moment where he expected Peter to take a step and I think he's calling some of us to take a step today. I was asking this question recently, very simple question, how do people change? When we look at the issues in our life, when we look at the issues in ourselves, most of the time it's we're waiting for the situation to change before we're willing to change ourselves. A wise man doesn't just complain about the situation, he makes the changes within to adapt to the situation. So I can't control what people say about me, but I can control how it affects me. And I can't control who gets offended or who feels left out, but I can control whether or not I respond in the right way. Are you following me? All the wives are like bumping their husbands. Mm -hmm. Take it easy, all right? It's the house of God. Take it easy. But there was a moment where I just asked the Lord, I said, how do people change? Like, if the goal of being a Christian is to become more like Jesus, that requires change. We live in America. It's, it's great. We're, I think it's the greatest country in the world. We're free to worship here. But in America, you can easily be a Christian without ever being a disciple. What do I mean by that? You can believe a set of beliefs without ever sacrificing your life for Jesus. Like we have great things here in this country. In other places, you sign up to follow Jesus, you very well know you could get arrested for it. You very well know it could be the last prayer you ever pray. And it doesn't mean that we believe different things. It just means here we have to work at being hungry and desperate. We have to see the emptiness to try to respond. Other people, there's nothing. So all I got is Jesus. But my question today that I want to focus on for a few moments here is how do people change? How does God actually change our lives? And I think I came up with something that might work at our church. I think change happens in three steps. And maybe they're steps. Maybe they're all the same. But it, it happens in three ways. There needs to be teaching. There needs to be community. And then there needs to be practice. Here's how people change. We are taught something new. We have a group of people that we can flesh it out with. And then we actually practice it in our own lives. Okay? When I say practice, I don't mean like practice. We're talking about practice. and no, I'm talking about like what you actually do. The results of your life are found in the practices of your life. Okay, let me try it again. The results and the effectiveness of your life is found in what you do on a daily basis. You become where you're around. Come on now, people, places, and things, they can influence us to be someone we were never supposed to be. You following? So when Jesus says, I want to change your life, it comes in a a formula. Can we get that triangle back up for a second? Let's break this down. It comes with teaching. So today we're being taught, and I say we because I'm learning As I'm reading, we're being taught. We're sitting under teaching. We're sitting under the scriptures. God is showing us the life that he's promised to us. Now, if that's all you do with it, and you hear teaching, and then I'll see you next week, that might not have a greater effect as if you implement some of these other things. So what if you got some teaching, but then after church or this week, you sat down with your community, and you sat down with your friends, or you sat down with some people that were here with you today and say, what'd you think about Sunday? Sunday. And I know this for me, when I talk about the Bible with others, I actually see things I didn't see by myself. Like there's something about your community. There's something about your tribe. You know, we have two services here at Gospel, a 9 and an 11. There will be many people in this church that maybe you personally don't know. But you ought to have your tribe. You ought to have your group. You ought to have the people you could sit with, study with, pray for. You know, we had issues going on all week in our church and people going to the hospitals, people preparing for big tests, you know, kids getting sick. And can I tell you that the people that are often there for them is not the pastors. We make the calls. We go and pray. Yes. But the people that are there before us are like their small group. I noticed this like Jerry leads a small group on Wednesday mornings for men. And (laughs) we got a shout out here. And, you know, we like it's been incredible to see these guys get together. Now, if one of those guys in that small group has an issue, they're not going to call Pastor Billy first. They're going to call their small group leader. They're going to call their tribe. They're going to call the people that they consistently see and talk with. So maybe our Christianity is incomplete because we don't actually have a community we're doing it with. Are you following so we need teaching, we need community. And give me the last one again. We need the practices, the practices. Uh, this morning, like I prayed this morning when I came down, the st- I woke up at six, got down coffee by 6.15. For me, usually it's coffee before prayer. Because if I'm praying before coffee, I'm like falling asleep. <laughs> just wanna be honest, <laughs> just wanna disarm you here. But when I get up and I spend 10 minutes this morning praying just for this 11 o'clock service, prayed for the nine, then prayed for the 10, that is a practice that is, I believe this about God, so I'm going to act as if what I believe is true. Okay, When we give, here at the end of the service, we're going to have a time for generosity. And uh, we don't really like, ta- like ta- say. it's giving time. Like, you know, or we're going to take tithes and offerings. It just Psychologically, it makes it seem like we're taking something from you. That's not at all what we're about here. But when we give, we're practicing generosity. The idea of being generous, we believe it and we're practicing it. We're putting it into play. And so with all three of these things, with teaching, community, and practice, that is how we become more like Jesus. Now you notice what's in the middle. Holy Spirit. He's the only one that makes all these connect. Willpower doesn't make these connect. You know, fasting is not like a diet. When you fast, it's you're praying, you're practicing it by actually believing it. You need the Holy Spirit to help you. You need the Holy Spirit in community. Anybody else notice this? Uh, We're called to love God and people. Loving God is easy, I think. Loving people, not so much. And so we need the Spirit when we're in community. Because your natural tendency wants to call out that person for what they did in their last season. Your natural tendency wants to label them by what they did. And how countercultural to the kingdom is that? You are not labeled in the kingdom by what you did. You are labeled by what Jesus did. You're not labeled by your good actions. You're labeled because you're his kid. You are now his daughter or his son. So when we see brothers and sisters in Christ, may we never be the type that just assess. May we speak life and also give people the right outlook on things. Israel, this is what they had to go through. They had to get taught. They had to be in community and then they had to practice it. And it took a prophet to come in and shake things up. No one really likes prophets. I just want to say that, like biblically. You know, I know today we have prophets and like, you know, televangelists and stuff and prophecy. I believe in modern day prophets. I, you know, some of you were here when Apostle Sherman Dumas came. We're going to have him come next year on a Wednesday night. We'll have a revival. He's a prophet. Like, I believe he's a prophet. Um, But not not everyone likes prophets because they come to shake things up. So Haggai comes and says, I know you guys are comfortable in the ruins and you're comfortable in the filth. Uh, But what's about to happen next will be greater than what's before. And he tells them, you need to get some work done now. Prophets aren't always the funnest people to be around. They're always kind of focused on what the Lord is saying. And in our church, we have a wide range of spiritual gifts, and I'm so glad we do. We have people that are are from, like, Lutheran background. We have people that are from Presbyterian background. We have people that are Pentecostal to the T. Thank you, Holy Ghost. You know, we've got Baptists. We've got former Catholics. You know, we've got people that are kind of on the fence with Catholicism. Like, we've got everybody everywhere. What a great place to encounter God for you. Never think that the way someone else encounters God is how you have to encounter God. Okay, because when I walked through the doors of my home church, I was judging everyone else's breakthrough. Everyone else is having breakthroughs. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And what we do is we judge the breakthrough without ever seeing what they've been through. So don't judge someone's breakthrough until you've seen what they've been through. Don't get too caught up in what it looks like. You don't know what it took just to stand up this morning. We're a church where you can come and encounter God because we believe the glory falls and you respond. So whether it's hands lifted, whether it's eyes closed, whether it's just getting your hand on the seat in front of you. The chair holders, I call them. That's how they worship. Just hold on to that chair. Steer that thing, you know. However it is for you, this is a place where you can encounter God for yourself. You'll be taught it. And then we're going to invite you into community. You're going to hear us talking about groups all the time. You know, we have people that uh, are um, they're the point of contact for teams here on Sundays. But our leaders, we call our leaders the people that lead small groups. Because life change doesn't happen around a platform. Life change happens around a table. You missed it. Life change just doesn't happen in the experience on a Sunday. It happens when you're face-to-face with people that actually know you and people you can say, I'm struggling with this. People you can call when stuff goes wrong. Can you help me with this? Because church isn't just the stuff we do. It's the people we become. I like that one. Church isn't just the stuff we do. It's the people we become. Who are you becoming? Jesus said, I want you to believe in me. But he didn't just... Leave it there. He said, I want you to believe in me and then do the things I do. In other words, believe and then become. You have to become the person God calls us to. It's a beautiful place to be. It's a little tricky at times. It doesn't always go how we want it, but the invitation is there to go a little bit closer. Let me show you what Tozer said about prophets just to give somebody a breather room here. Uh, A.W. Tozer has a line where he said, we desperately need prophets, talking about seers, He says, we need seers. We need people that can see. A prophet is someone that could see tomorrow while you're stuck in today. So when you're like, the world is ending today, the prophet's like, no, 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 God's at work tomorrow so that they can see things. He says, we desperately need seers who can see through the mist. We need Christian leaders with prophetic vision. And unless they come soon, it'll be too late for this generation. This generation is great at assessing problems and calling things out and blasting people on social media. And they're the problem. They're the problem. They're the problem. And I'm just going like, any of y'all got a solution? I love great assessment, but please, if we're going to assess, like he says, like Tozer says, we need people that can see. So let's call it out here today, but let's get some people that can see down the road a little bit. Like I'm down to go to war today, but what are we going to do if we win? You with me? Like I'm down to get out of the house, but where are we going? So we we need people that can see. Uh, He continues and says this, and if they do come, we will no doubt crucify a few of them in the name of our worldly orthodoxy. Prophets going to come and shake things up. It's not going to be fun. Naturally, our flesh is going to be like, man, forget this guy. And we kick people out of churches. And we tell people, you're too broken to come here not knowing that they're the very people we might need. Whew. I only receive from my pastor. That's, that's, that, that, I appreciate that, but you ought to receive from anybody that's willing to speak because God can use some of the most messed up, jacked up, broken people to give you a word. I'm glad he uses broken people. I'm glad he uses people like me because if he was only into the people that had it put together, it would favor them. If he was only into the people that had the willpower, it would would favor them. But instead, he says, my love is not based on what you do. It's based on what I did. And all are invited and all are for it. So as a church, we're stepping into a season where we're asking God for his glory. Glory can be defined in so many different ways. But for us at our church, we define glory as full attention, full affection on God. When God gets glory, it means that when people think about it, they automatically think of him. How did that church get that building so quick? We ain't got any money. You know, how did they get there so quick? Glory, because God's involved. Well, how did that marriage get restored? I thought that it was over, that he did this, she did this. I mean, how is this actually happening? Glory, because God's involved. Uh, My daughter is a year and a half old today. A miracle. Every time I see her, I think when I was told I couldn't have kids. I was told when Randy couldn't have kids for six years, we prayed, we had hands laid on us. We gave thousands of dollars just by faith. Like we're going to give a miracle offering and believe for a baby, no baby. Another year, let's give it. We're going to trust God, no baby. Today, can I tell you, every time I see her, I see glory. I see glory. What glory does God want to pour out in your life? Because I've I've noticed this about glory. Glory can be gory. That's kind of (laughs) dumb. Used to be a rapper, (laughs) y'all. But glory can be something that you don't expect it to look nice and put together. Sometimes it's a little messy. Sometimes it's a little fuzzy. But it always results in someone looking at God and saying, oh, he's real. He's real. So I want to give you three things about glory real quick. Fun fact, first service didn't get this. We switched it all second service. Because I think there's somebody that needs to hear some of these points. Uh, So first of all, a couple things about glory. Number one, glory is for God. Let's start with that. Glory is not about you. Let me just start off our church service by saying this church ain't about Billy. This church isn't about Randy. It's not about the things that we really do well. This church is here for God. This house is for him. When someone says, look at gospel, they're growing so fast. Be like, God. Well, I really like how you teach the Bible. I'm flattered. God. God. Like, I can't believe that this place is like this. I know, God, because glory's for him. Here's the problem. We think glory's for us. So we say, that's right. Call me pastor. You'll never hear me ask to be called pastor. Those that do call it, thank you. It's honor. I get it. But like, if I have to ask you to call me something, I haven't earned that respect. So like, what good is it to look for titles when God's not into them? He wants to know, can I pour my glory out here? Can can, can I pour my spirit out here? Is there any room for my glory to exist with you? Because if it's all about you, I don't know if I want to be here. Consider even down to how our Lord came into this earth. The Bible says that Jesus was prophesied that he would be born of a virgin. Now for skeptics and any doubters or atheists in the room, like this is where a lot of people go to. They're like, virgin birth, How? yeah right and that's where it's like you know it's God Um, but listen to just even the fact that Jesus would come through a virgin a virgin untouched by man (laughs) even how he was born he was showing us how we should steward our churches untouched by men may this place always be where we take our hands off the wheel and if God is switching it up we trust him we keep our hands off it because he's the one that gets glory God, glory's for him Even the Bible sometimes, I read the Bible like a preacher, so naturally I think like, oh, this is a metaphor. And it's like some of the Bible stories are not about us. You know what I'm saying? Like David killing Goliath is not about I'm going to go kill a Goliath. That's a great metaphor, but that is a picture of how one man defeated one thing that set free an entire nation. One man took down a giant that set free the whole nation, just like one man took on death and set hold the whole world. Are you getting it? Everything points to him. So glory is for God. Secondly, the second thing about glory is number two, glory attracts resources. So Haggai gives the people of Israel a word. He says, I want you to go up into the mountains. And when you go up to the mountains, you're going to find trees. And when you find those trees, I want you to cut them down and bring them to build the house of God. They never spent any money. He just said, go up there and get what's already there and repurpose it for my glory. (laughs) Stop complaining about you don't have the things you need when God can do more with what you got. Are you following me? Uh, This is what T.D. Jakes said one time. He was in this deep conversation with somebody, and they asked him, they said, you know, Bishop Jakes, what do you think uh, about how God uh, provides? Like, give us a thought on how God provides for you. And Bishop Jakes, he leans over, and if you ever listen to T.D. Jakes, like, he's, you know, and he says, "Uh, well, God doesn't make furniture. Puts the mic down. I'm watching on YouTube like, what? The guy continues and he says, Well, what do you mean? And he goes, Have you ever thought about how God doesn't make furniture? We make furniture. It's like, Yeah, God makes trees. God creates things and then expects when his people want to bring him glory, they will go get what's already there. And they, they, they're not going to sit there and say, God, give me a chair. They're going to say, God, where's the trees at? Come on. Come on. When we first got into town, I remember getting with our team, and I was like, Lord, send us a team. And I felt like God said, develop the ones that are there. And I was like, yeah, but they don't really get it yet. You know what I mean? Like, give me some people that get it. And he's like, why are you complaining to me? Why don't you go have lunch with somebody that you're not used to hanging out with? Ask them some stuff. Why don't you go around, get around somebody that's a little different, and then you'll see what I'm actually doing are you with me? Glory attracts resources. When God's getting glorified, the resources will come. Like this building, we're trying to raise money till the end of this year to pay off this building. And and people, you know, people were tripping. Like the building, I think the total cost is like 250 grand. And, and people are 250 grand. You got to remember where we were looking for churches in California was like 3 million. So where one person is stressed, someone else is blessed. Are you with me? Like we're like, this is a miracle. But I just know this, if we stay focused on the right thing, the main thing, God's going to provide. Two years we've been living in Fredonia, we've yet to see him forsake us. Not because, you know, we're the best stewards and we got the right strategy. It's just because he's faithful when he's getting the glory. He's going to be the one to take the credit. He's going to be the one to take care of the bill. I say it like that. I was talking to an architect recently, and we have plans to remodel this. You know, we've got like a 10-year plan here, how to expand it, how to make things better how to really bless this community that's right here. Like, we got this vision for it. And I was talking to one guy, and he starts going off the architect numbers, and you know, he's like, well, you know, you're looking at this, you're looking at that. He goes, you know, for a new church, it's just very interesting that you're kind of like already looking at renovations. Like, it's just a lot of money. And I was like, I know, I know a guy. <laughs> he's like, what? I go, I know a guy that's going to pay for it. Like, and he's like, well, can I meet him, you know? <laughs> And I said, no, I just know that when the people are in the will of God, he takes care of the bill. My pastor used to say, maybe that's where I get the rhyming thing. He used to say, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. And so we'd be in these meetings and he'd be like, here's what we're going to do. I'd say, how? How? That's not for you to worry about. That's for God to worry about. Let's just keep loving people well. Let's keep inviting anyone that's willing to come. Let's keep speaking life over the dead places in this community. Watch, on a Tuesday or a Thursday, you see something bad in the community, be that person that can assess it, but also can speak well and can say, well, I don't know what this town's been through. I don't know what this person really had to go through. I'm judging one reaction when I don't really know the whole story. Sometimes it's easier to excuse yourself from the whole story because you won't have as bad judgment. (laughs) <laughs> if I see somebody and they're not opening up to their life to me, I'm going to see them speak best, the best about them. I'm going to see the possibility in them. Someone else comes and says, you know, there's, there's this girl over here, she's bad news. I'm going I don't know her like that. I don't know. And until I see it, I'm not going to believe that she's the worst. Come on, I see potential today. As we, got, we got the people in place, y'all. I'm not going to lead us anywhere crazy. We got realists on our team they are going to be like, Billy, get over here. But I just want to be that person that I want to speak well. Because when glory is involved, God gives the resources. So glory is for God. Glory attracts resources. And lastly, as I close, I feel like we should pray for some people today. Um, Glory can get messy. Glory can get messy. I got into this a little bit, but um, there is just a messiness about our world right now. And I'm not the type that's like, oh, it's always bad. I really think things are going a little bit better than they have been in the last couple of years. But there's something about Christians that we think like everything needs to be polished and put together when it comes before God. And we think like we need to have like read our Bibles and done our devotions and not said a cuss word in two weeks before we come to church. And I I just think if that's the case, then we will never come. Like if everything always has to be perfect, we're not gonna come. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. If we're always like, well, when it's right, when the time's right, when my schedule works, when my money's right, when I got a plan here, if it's always about waiting, it'll always be waiting. But I just know there's something special about our mess mixing with God's glory. Almost as if like God's glory has a way of kind of like eclipsing our mess to where it gets to a point where like, if I were to take this whole sermon to tell you all of my stuff, you would sit here and go, how are you still here today? I think if any of you came up and grabbed this mic and were to testify a little bit, we would all sit here and go, how are you still here today? It wasn't because your life was broken because there's a lot of broken people. But you're here today because you didn't sit in the brokenness. Yeah, You're here today because brokenness might have came and tried to label you, but you made a decision, I'm going to pick these pieces up and come before God with them. Because church is not the place where you come put together. It's the place you get put together. This is the place where we're formed into his image. Paul said in Galatians, the apostle Paul, he says, I can't rest until I see Christ formed in you. Formed, formed, Galatians 4, formed in you. He says, I want to see Jesus formed in you. Well, I'm a believer, Billy. I I go to church, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, yeah, but heaven is coming to earth now. We're so comfortable knowing we're leaving earth, going to heaven, but heaven is coming to earth now. Do you want to be involved with that? Like there's something special about that. There's something to notice about that. Just coming before him and saying, my broken pieces aren't going to stop what you can do. My broken pieces are not going to come before your glory. It says he turns our ashes into beauty. He turns our brokenness into his glory. And I, I think whatever your view of jesus or your ever you know your view of church is i think there's one thing you can't forget about the gospel story jesus got all the glory right he he raised from the dead and and i think we like picture like we picture like this like like perfect image of someone like floating out of the grave or something, you know? And then like he's before his disciples and he's in his glorified state. And a lot of times we focus on that glory. We're like, look at Jesus resurrected. Wow, King of Kings, amazing. Lord of Lords, incredible. But we forget about what he did on the cross and that glory only came because of the mess that happened on the cross. Resurrection only came because there was death. I want the resurrection. Okay, are you willing to die? because we want the benefits of discipleship without really noticing the cost of discipleship. We want the blessings of God without the actual sacrifice and commitment to it. I want to see him pour glory out into this building, but I don't know if I want to fast for it. Like, I want to see us raise $250,000 to pay off this building. Y'all, we're already raised like 70 of it. Like, I want to see that, but I don't know if I'm willing to pray. So we want the benefits without the cost. You know what the cost was? Jesus got nailed to this cross and he got put up. And beside him was one robber. And on the other side was the other robber. And one of the robbers was like, why don't you save yourself? Like, if you're really the son of God, get down off this cross. And the guy on the other side yells at his his dying robber friend I don't even know if they were friends but he just says haven't you any respect? he goes this man did nothing wrong and the robber said we deserved our death but he didn't deserve it this is where I'd like to insert a phrase Jesus didn't just die for you he died as you he took your place because let's be honest God is holy we cannot be in his presence unless we are made holy I've been trying my whole life to get holy on my own. It hasn't really worked. You know how something gets holy? It gets set apart. It, it gets labeled. It's set as something different. Uh, you know, when I used to work valet parking, there was always an issue with the refrigerator. Okay, people would bring their lunches. Everyone puts their lunch in the food, you know, into the fridge. And then you come back and someone would take a bite of your sandwich. Or like some of y'all that work, you know what I'm talking about. Bring your food, you put it in the fridge and then someone would open up. Now oh, let me get this and then eat it. What do you do to make sure that no one takes your food? You write your name on it. And when you write your name on it, you just sanctified it. It has now been made holy. It's now, because it has your name, it's set apart. (laughs) When Jesus was on that cross, his name was written on your life. That when someone comes in now and tries to mess with you or take something from you, they see his name has been written on you. Second Corinthians five says he who knew no sin became sin so that we could be righteous so that we could be sanctified. So glory is messy because our God is holy. Yeah. Glory can get a little funny sometimes because our God sees the end picture in mind. Today's the foundation for glory in this place. And God is going to pour his spirit out on anybody that's willing it starts with us first recognizing we need his glory. We don't need credit. We need his glory. I want to pray for two groups of people today. The first group, you've lost attention. Just not interested anymore. I, I, I'm not paying attention anymore. This is not to clown you or anything. This is just life in general. It's just, I'm not really, not really there. I'm here, but I'm not here. Second group is you've lost affection. You just don't even love anymore. Same kind of thing, but I feel like if that's you today, you feel like you need some attention in your spirit life or you need some affection. You need to develop that love again. Um, I want you to stand on your feet if that's you. Just say, I've lost attention today. I've lost affection in my life. There's just something that I need to respond to today. I'm, I'm just not seeing it. Thank you. Lord, I pray, just, just you two, huh? Come on, can we stretch our hands towards uh, these ladies here? Lord, I pray in this moment, you'd pour out glory on these two ladies. Lord, I pray that where attention has been lost, you would restore focus. Lord, I pray that where people discounted and labeled, I pray you would do again a new label over their life today. No longer are they called by what they did, Today, we call them your daughters. We call them your kids because of what you did. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. In Jesus' name, can we all stand?